Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from FasterSkier.com. I know, I know, it's been quite a while, but we're back this week with guest Jostine Vigneroy, coach of Great Britain's cross-country skiers and also with the Akerdali professional team. We will hear from Yostin about Team Akerdali's expansion to include its first American athlete, and we will actually have some more content for you in the not-too-distant future. I mean, we have two big things to report. One is we're actually recording a podcast in the summer after saying that we would in the spring, but then spring became summer, but it's before the winter, so I'm pretty proud of us here. Uh, and the other thing is that we have Yostin Vinrui with us who is the coach for this newfangled team Akerdali, which is essentially an amalgamation. Well, we're going to get into it in this, in this podcast, but he has been the national team coach of Great Britain for the last number of years and has led the team to some historic results, podium performances on the world cup, which is pretty phenomenal. Now this team Akerdali is quite the interesting amalgamation of great racers from around the world, as well as great Norwegian racers and a whole ski classics team as well, which we'll, we'll get into. But who is Jostein? Jostein is a ski coach that I know well because he actually coached me later in my career. So it's really fun to have him on and have a little chat. But I don't know where exactly where you started. You started up in northern Norway, but from what I know of you when you were moved down to southern Norway was when you were heading Team Sinfjell, and then moved over to Team Telemark and had some great results and amazing development in in that private team here in Norway before moving on to be the head coach of the great British national team and now Team Akerdali. So we're thrilled to have you, Yostan. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> Wait, can we can we start? I, I recall, so I, this is, I feel a little bad. I, I spent, I took a lot of Yostin's time and talked to all of his athletes uh, in Slovenia. And I was going to write a story about uh, this like <clears throat> weird, as Devin described it, like team that amalgamated athletes from Great Britain, Latvia, now the United States. And I, I kind of ran out of time and got pulled into some other things. But uh, but one thing that stuck out that I actually wanted to ask about was if I'm remembering correctly, Yostin, you said you used to be a policeman, and uh, I I'm wondering if you have any good stories you could start out with from your time as a policeman and how, uh, you know, does any of that translate into your career as a as a ski coach at all? Uh, yes, that's true. Um, I, I was a I was a policeman for for some years before um, being full time um, ski coach and uh, of course there are lots of uh, lots of transitions there and things I learned in the police that I can use in uh, cross country skiing. Chokeholds. Uh, uh, yeah, but I have uh, what I learned pretty fast as a coach being out on races was that um, because of some of the situation I've been in uh, as a police officer. Uh, to make decisions on a ski race, for instance, what walks to shoes or things like that are not as hard as uh, some of the shoes I had to do when I worked as a policeman and also together with colleagues there. I was never in a situation where uh, where I, for, in, uh, for instance, had to fire shots or anything like that, but I was very close to colleagues who had to do that decision and I have... Uh, 
pulled uh, <laughs> pulled back with myself and being uh, in in some tough situations and just how it is uh, in that to work as a policeman sometimes so then to come to the ski environment for me was a very calm and relaxed place compared to what I was used to even though as some say in uh, on a ski stadium there is always enough stress for everyone there is uh, lots of stress everywhere so then if you can be there and be calm and, and cool-headed, then you actually have an advantage. I learned really fast. So that's uh, maybe the, the biggest learning point I uh, had from, from being a, a police officer. We, we always have a little bit, bit better time than we think we have. Maybe not the athletes out there racing, but when we have to do decisions, sometimes if you stop and take an extra second or two to have a thought or discuss or ask a colleague about something, you will end up doing a better decision. So that is maybe... <laughs> The, the biggest one and uh, before that when I was younger I also used with uh, used to work with troubled kids kids who was uh, maybe moved out from their families and stuff like that so that combination is perfect for a ski coach if you also know something about technique and training then you, you know uh, athletes like Devon they work really well when they have uh, clear frames and you make good deals with them and, and stay to them <laughs> then you get trust and they start believing in you <laughs> So yeah, maybe the, the the best way to describe it. Even even on a bad day uh, on the ski trails, generally nobody gets stabbed as opposed to the mean mean streets of Norway. Um, well, Devin Devin is uh, you know maybe he's he's still muted. He's maybe he's turning over a new leaf of silence in this 2024 winter uh, edition of the podcast. So. Maybe I'll throw another sort of question, um, which I think, you know, I think some listeners I'm sure are actually probably at this point quite familiar with Team Akardali, but um, I imagine, you know, your team, I think, has grown and, and uh, you know, evolved a little bit in this in this past uh, off season. And um, yeah, just wondering if you could tell us a little bit, like, it seems like you guys are in sort of growth expansion mode have been really successful in the last year and wondering if you could just maybe take us like you know on like a two minute uh life history tour mm -hmm. of of team akardali like just sort of where you guys started and and how you guys have evolved into who you are this season with british athletes latvian athletes um american athletes now mm. maybe there's some others i'm missing i'll try Two minutes, maybe too short. Uh, uh, that's right. We have, um, um, if I say our way into the team, our meaning uh, from the British national team, where I've been coaching full-time since 2017. Uh, we were in a big, huge crisis last summer. We lost funding from, from UK sports, and we ended up uh, um, being very doped if we actually could have a program. We, were, we had to do go to the core there we had to use uh, uh, go down to one coach instead of two coaches we had to go down to one boxer instead of two or three boxers uh, the athletes didn't have a camp program uh, me and Hans Christian Stadam has been working with me for many years in, in Great Britain we were out of work actually we didn't have any salary during the summer so it was like three, three months there when we our biggest contribution to the team was actually to still uh, coach, coach the athletes, even though they didn't get paid for it. So then team um, Dali came to us after the summer, or actually in the beginning of the summer, with Knut Nystad. And they, uh, 
they were looking for to see if it was possible to do something with a national team they talked about. And then I told him that we, if you want, we can actually do start tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but we were then a team uh, in a cooperation with Sfix and Dali is one of the main sponsors to this team. So, of course, it was a bit complicated there, but uh, it was uh, okayed from both sides that that was a way to do it. So then, uh, officially, uh, GB Snow Sport and Team Dali are partners. So it's like they are our biggest sponsor, but in that package, it's a lot. Uh, and then Team Akerdali then was uh, with uh, <clears throat> had a group of all-round skiers and had a group of long-distance skiers and, uh, and a group of para skiers. Uh, para, the para athletes, they are, I would say, the core of the whole team because without uh, a para program, we would never had uh, the sponsors on board. We have a huge foundation in the bottom called uh, v, uh, which uh, which uh, are working to get inclusion and get and get people with a handicap and uh, and uh, uh, a, a way into into sport and a way into life in general. So one of the things we did in GB Snowboard was that we were first national team that actually we are only have one one team in um, cross country skiing and that is both with Olympic athletes. We have four Olympic athletes on that team, and we have two Paralympic athletes, but we are that's the national team in cross-country skiing. Uh, <clears throat> so that is like the same as, as uh, this Beyond concept Team Akerdali works for. And then, uh, I can try, <laughs> try to cut it shorter, but it, it's, a, it's a long way to the, to, the, to the point here, but then today we have on the team actually around 40 athletes, but then if you... In Conta athletes, we have everything from young para junior athletes to uh, Scott Mina, who is who took medals in in uh, in uh, in uh, biathlon in, in uh, world champs last year in sit skiing, uh, a British British man, British athlete. On Olympic program, we also have next gen athletes, juniors, and then you have like the athletes of the caliber of uh, Australian Lynn and Andrew Musgrave. So that is it's very wide, but then. Uh, the core is that we try to to build a team who are different than what we have seen before. Uh, we we don't try to see beyond uh, boundaries, we see, uh, both physically but also between nations. And uh, I think uh, we have started a concept that is very exciting. And then from this season on, the British team are like uh, fully integrated in the team that we also are now on. Dali clothes, for instance, and stuff like that. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit back and forth, but uh, I guess you understand the concept. Oh, it's a great concept, and I think you did a good, you did a good job explaining it just then because I find it it is a fascinating idea, and like you said, like it is an exciting concept for cross country skiing, and we get a lot of hate mail about me being a curmudgeon and grumpy that like cross country skiing is dying, and we need to do something about getting it better, and this is <laughs> this is a good way to to try and try and share that knowledge across borders and the, the, to be able to share that knowledge also from the Paris side of things is a great uh, and amazing idea. It's super inspiring. And it's something actually that the Canadian national team is doing too, uh, not with the private partners, but with Pair Nordic and Able Body Nordic. And they're having like combined camps, which is something you guys are also doing. And mm -hmm. it, it's amazing 
it's been amazing from what I've heard from the able-bodied athletes, as well as the para athletes to, to share, to share stories and inspire each other and hear each other's stories too. So it's, uh, it's really, really cool that that's been such a key, a linchpin or like a key, a chalkstone of the, of the program. So that, that's interesting to hear. But another thing that is a crazy lin- like chalkstone or linchpin of this whole program is, is Nat is, is alluded to it is this, combination of international athletes under one umbrella so Nat said of course like Sophia Lockley for people that listen in the U.S. uh, a huge talent from the U.S. and yeah she has a Norwegian dad and now she's sounds like she's more based in Norway we can kind of circle back to that later but regardless like Sophia Lockley Aduka of course of Latvia Yanatova of Czech Republic um, even Thomas Maloney Westergaard is training with you guys as well and this is this is pretty as well as all the the British athletes. And but I, I just want to focus for a quick second on the international side of things. I, uh, you know, Westergaard also has top tens in the World Cup, so he's no slouch. But and, but and I, he's just to be clear, he's training like he races for Ireland. Is that right? Exactly. <clears throat> Sorry, he races for Ireland. Yeah, he lives in Trondheim, mm-hmm. but he races for Ireland. But regardless, you have. I just wanted to spend a quick second on like Iduka, Yanatova, and Laukli to to join the team. I mean, this is these are heavy hitters from the women's side of things. I mean, all of them have top ten results. And then if you look to your what's on the website, but also people that are in the know, you did some heavy recruiting with some amazing female athletes as well. Not just Astrodoya Schlind, who was a huge breakthrough last year, um, coming from the ski classics into a uh, normal world cup racing and having success, but you, you have like Celia Theodorsen has joined uh, the crew as well. And I, that's why I wanted to spend a little bit of time on the, uh, on the women's side of things, because it's not easy putting together a team in general, no matter, regardless of gender, but when you collecting a strong, a, a really strong group of women that are training together in yeah like Celia and the the women I, I mentioned not to mention the the Lopet skiers but I mean it looks smooth from the outside that everybody's having fun and everything's great but it'd just be interesting to hear how has that transition been for you were you coming from a national team where you have a very focused goal which is like okay get British athletes on the world cup podium or mm-hmm. championship podium to now you're having to put together these teams and I know you it sounds like you're more in charge of like the normal or like the the true world cup style of racing mm-hmm. um but still it's it, it must how has that how has that transition been like to to work with athletes from a whole bunch of different countries and and, and that side of thing how's how is that uh that's a big change for cross-country skiing <clears throat> yeah, it is uh it's also uh, I find it very interesting I've always been kind of uh maybe more international and national directed as myself all the time, both by studies and, uh, and, uh, and work as well, worked abroad and, and always, always looked outside of the borders of Norway to, to, to see uh, how things are done. So I'm kind of used to that international environment in one way, but then as you say, last, uh, since 2016, uh, 17, we've worked with the British team. There have been, uh, we have had uh, one woman who was on the Olympic team until uh, uh, 18-19 season, and two, two women the, the last year, Nicole Baith and, and uh, Annika Taylor, but after they stopped skiing, 
we haven't had women, so we only have uh, focused on this uh, bunch of boys or men, uh, as I actually are now, <laughs> getting over 30 already, both young and messy, so <laughs> about time to call them men. Uh, but uh, so so that's a change then to get uh, to, to to get uh, these women on board in the team, but uh, only in a positive way. We started last year uh, having Patricia Duka coming into our team. Uh, that was a really good spark into the team. We needed some fresh blood in to say it like that. She had a good match with uh, with uh, the rest of the team. And also, I want to. I want to just interrupt and just yeah. remind folks. Um, Patricia Iduka is like she's like 23 years old from Latvia. Um, not traditionally a powerhouse cross country ski nation. Uh, just for folks who don't know who that is, right? No, no. <clears throat> um, and and when we started to work with her, we we knew her results. She was had a silver in under 23 world champs and did good junior races, but then. First time we saw her skiing, uh, Hans and I we were just looking at each other, and it was like, "What? Uh, how did we get this in our hands? This, this, this can be gold." <laughs> she, she, you can, you could immediately see that that she has what it takes to be a good skier, and she also proven that last season when she won the under 23 overall uh, for women, which is a great achievement. We never believed it was possible for her, and she was fifth as a best result in in the World Cup race. But uh, that also gave lots of inspiration to the others. And uh, you know how it is when you get good results in the team that makes other relax. It doesn't necessarily feel that all the pressure are on them. So then uh, mo most, of, most of the others also had a good season. Jimmy was uh, doing, uh, James Klugnet was doing a final for the first time in the World Cup sprint in Davos. And, and Mercy was back on the podium and had a very good, uh, especially the start of the season, but then in the overall he had a, he had a good season. Uh, we're we're, we're, we're mm. talking about we're talking about the two British guys, James Clugney and uh, and Andrew Musgrave is is yes. Yeah, that's messy. And then and <clears throat> Andrew Young struggled a bit more, but he he and uh, he and Jimmy managed actually to be sixth in the world in the world champs in team sprint, which is a great effort for for us. It was like uh, only seconds behind Canada and Sweden, <laughs> which would have been, a, would have been a <laughs> cool to beat. But then. Uh, just means that to to get new people in the group, but also from other nations, to get some other perspectives into things. That is just good for the group, and it also was also very good for Hans and me, who co uh, we are coaching Patricia, to to get a new athlete to work with and get other challenges that we had before. And I think that was uh, good for the rest as well. And then um, building on to to this season, it was natural uh, to have a cooperation. Uh, and try to get uh, Katarina Janatova into the team. She is uh, the girlfriend of James and uh, wanted to base in Norway. And I, uh, I started working with her a little bit as well last season. And and we have had a, a cooperation and and managed to get her in the team. And uh, with a, a nice agreement from the with the Czech Federation that she will stay in Norway during the preparation summer season. Same terms as Sofia Lovely. It's like doing the prep season based in Norway, and then when the World Cup starts, uh, they are back with their teams. Uh, Iduka and Thomas Malone Westgård are in another situation. They will they will travel with us as team members, just as the British boys, and, and get the full walk support and, and everything there. So it's like they are, we are a team of six athletes next season. Uh, how, does, going to the World Cup. how does it work? I mean, I, I'm really curious about, like, are you... Uh, uh, 
writing the training plans for basically all those athletes and kind of their most focused coach like has that do the do the different like ski federations or or national teams are they sort of trying to still you know be leading or guiding their athletes training or like at this point it's like for Sophia Lauckley, for example, like, are you writing her plan? And, you know, you'll kind of have conversations with U.S. ski team staff, but like that's sort of your your role at this point. Yeah, yeah of course, there are differences between the athletes, but as a, as a main goal for, for Hans Christian Stahlheim, as you know, he's, he's have a responsibility for more national Norwegian part of the team, but we also share a bit the athletes between us. So, uh, in the case of Sofia, for instance, we both coach her, but he he is like the main contact and doing the uh, making the main uh, program with her, not for her, but with her. That is important for us that we want the athletes to 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 make their own programs first, and then we discuss it, and then we agree about the route going forward. Uh, we don't believe in in uh, just making a program and give it to the athletes, and then here is uh, what you get, uh, and this is what you what you should do. For Patricia Iduka last year, for instance, that was a big change for her. Uh, she's used to have, she's coming from Latvia and been part of a system where uh, in uh, with uh, uh, with Justina Kowalczyk and where uh, did a very good job with her. But they work a different way than we are doing. So, uh, so the goal for this season for her, for instance, is that to learn her to make her own uh, plans, and she's doing that great, of course. The, the athletes knows a lot about training. If you just make them believe it and, and give them confidence in making programs. So, um, but for instance, in, in Sofia's case, uh, Hans is the main contact. So he's the one having contact with the USD team and having that relation uh, with Jana Tova. That is uh, kind of my responsibility. So I have the contact there with her and the Czech Federation. So we split it a bit. But of course, it needs to be some communications with the federations. But then um, uh, when people choose to, to join our team, uh, one of, one of the uh, reasons we kind of can take them on board is that we get the, the, the full ownership of their program. That oh, is cool. important. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we, I don't believe in uh, like a 50-50 split. I, I've tried that before. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> so, and, that, yeah. and that's a really good point. I mean, it is true. Yeah. You can't have too many cooks in the kitchen and especially athletes that... Um, yeah, when it's going well, everything is easy. I mean, when, when it's going well, athletes can sleep on the floor and eat like stale bread and it doesn't matter. But if if things are challenged, which often they are at times in the preparation phase and, and in the racing season, if you have multiple parties feeling an ownership of of the of the athlete as well as the athlete, then then things go off the rails. So that I think that's a really, really important stipulation that you guys have in place. I'm... I can come back a bit to your question. Originally, that was about how to get a group of women to cooperate who have never trained yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was going. Yeah, no, but that's where yeah. I was going because. So, and then, yeah, what, it what is, is important there is that we, when we when we get people to the team, also we try to uh, not interview and wrong to say, but we, we need we want to know more about them than their ski results. And uh, if you want to be a part of this project, you need to be able also to buy in on the concept beyond it means that you need to be able to share knowledge you need to be uh, try to be a good teammate as often as you can and then it's of course there are like in every team there is not just uh, harmony but uh, then we need to 
take the discussions if if needed and if possible and 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 leave it there and then move on and that's just how it is and to build a group uh, in a short time is not easy but then again people are based different places and we meet for camps and then uh, 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 I, I think we have sorted out pretty well so far and you see it also with the with the athletes we have now the the, the funny thing there is that you see for instance there is a group of athletes based in Lillehammer or based in Oslo and then you see they search to each other outside camps as well so for instance, in Lillehammer, where Janatova is based, also Amalie Håkonsen Os, which is a very good Norwegian Norwegian skier, just uh, around the, the World Cup team, uh, did super good qualifiers last year uh, in Lillehammer, for instance, I think she was second or something like that in the, in the qualification there. But they then train more together than they've done before, and I think that's good for both of them. So they kind of develop in the team, and we saw the same. Aiduka has been based in Oslo for quite a few weeks during the summer and then she and Silje train together Theodosian and uh, meet up and like uh, on uh, Friday I was doing bounding I, I did not do bounding in both that's wrong I was on an electrical bike but Silje Theodosian and uh, Sofia Leukli did bounding intervals and Hans Christian was chasing after them and uh, I <laughs> carried some stuff up to the top for them but then uh, then you see that those two girls meeting up there and then for Silje then to have this uh, this interval together with Sofia, which we know you've seen how fast a run, runner she is and how good she is in this, and then you know that you are up to up on the on the highest level in the world. So then, um, then there are something in there. But then again, when you when those two go out double po doing double polling intervals, Sofia have to chase Silje. So you see everyone have the different strength, and I think that's will that will make them good. As long as they stay healthy and, and uh, avoid injuries. I have a I have a bit of a different style question. Uh, um, but so so what I think is fascinating about the concept we've covered already uh, that you're bringing you have a long distance team you have a next gen team which is kind of borrowing the next gen side of thing is almost borrowing from football like soccer where you have like an academy essentially uh, mm -hmm. that you hope to be a feeder into the into the either the national team or your the next level of the team Akadali team, which is a, a great <clears> concept. <throat> Something that I think cross country skiing has been lacking really. I mean, the Norwegian team has done a good job of that with uh, a junior national team for a number of years. So is Sweden. Um, but even the likes of, of the U S has done an amazing job with development lately, but, but Canada, for example, when I was growing up, we had a very strong national junior team and then they shelved that. And it looks like finally there's a bit better development happening in Canada very recently, but there's a lot of, you know, 15 plus years of darkness with development when you lose that Academy piece. So I, I find that like super fascinating. Um, but one thing that I, and you don't have to answer this yes then if you don't want to, I'm not a journalist, we're just talking shit. So, but one thing that I do find that is interesting is the two main sponsors of this project you have, Akid, which is one of the biggest businesses in Norway, but has a rich history of supporting many different sports, but cross-country skiing. I mean, Akid, when they came and supported the national ski team, that was really the, the, the change from 
even though as a Canadian looking in, you always thought the Norwegians were like mad ballers with, uh, you know, Vegard Olvang and Bjorn Dolly with SAS patches. And it's like, whoa, they're sponsored by airlines. And it just seemed like such a baller existence. And then even like Kvetsko or whatever, like big Norwegian banks that were, were sponsoring the team. But really when Akkad came into the team, and I can say this because my wife was part of this transition, it, it really, they came in with a lot of money, but not just money, they expected a lot too. And it kind of became more professionalized. Same Bjorn Dali, who's the greatest male skier for while well, Klebo's fast taking that away from him and Petter Nortug is in the discussion, Bolshinov or whatever. But but Bjorn Dali is one of the greatest skiers that ever lived. I since I'm old, I still consider him the greatest male cross-country skier that ever lived. Uh he has a clothing company, uh, as well as other things that everyone knows, uh, Dali clothes, and that's where he's coming in. But again, he's been involved in, in cross-country skiing for a long time as well. And well, I find it a fascinating concept, what's, what's happening, like, do you really see a concept like this being scalable? And when I say scalable, do you think it's something that a Swedish company could come in and create a similar idea or an American company, heaven forbid? I mean, there's a world champion in, in the U.S. now, and that's the, the birthplace of capitalism, baby, is, is America. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's, it, I guess what, I, I guess my question is this long rambling question is very fascinating idea seems to be working right now really cool concept but do you believe that cross-country skiing can move in this direction like like did you know do you kind of understand what i'm asking yeah i think if you um, we may not end up like biking with only professional teams maybe we have a combination i don't know there is huge different interests in teams but what we see already now is that we uh, there is a team in Sweden called Eksjøhus. They're trying to build some of the same, where Mark Kristoffersen is the coach now for the long-distance team. But they have also established an academy. They are recruiting super-talented juniors into their concept. Um, and you see Lager uh, 157, as you say in English. <laughs> they have uh, Olvar Mühlbach on the second season now. So we see some of the big teams recruiting young athletes. Uh, Ragde uh, recruited this uh, Oscar Opsavike, uh, who won Kanaler and the Roller Ski Race, beating Max Novak and, and Daniel Stock and Mössi and all of them in the finish rate. He's still a junior, two, two years left. So you see private teams now investing more in younger athletes. And I'm uh, pretty sure that when their athletes then start to shine on a bigger scene, they want to take credit for it, of course, because they are kind of the reason, one of the reasons that they that they can have their breakthrough. So it, I think it would be next five years will be very interesting to see uh, what will happen. Uh, it's uh, unrealistic to believe that Norway will cut down their World Cup team and stop stop sending out, <laughs> stop having a national team cross country skiing, and same with Sweden and Finland and Italy and France. But maybe you see what we are doing now, having. Uh, Athletes from Latvia, Ireland, Great Britain, maybe the Spanish team want to have someone. Next camp we are going to know, uh, uh, Este Valtimiros from Andorra will join us on the camp to be a part of the group, see what that is. Maybe he will join forces next year. So it's like, for, for small nations, I believe cooperation on this level can be super interesting. Uh, uh, then, then again, everything is decided by federations. I, I am also in the World Cup committee in FIS. I know that... Uh, 
the federation take these decisions and there are no federations who will decide that they <laughs> should stop doing that program so uh, but I, I but i think we should be open-minded on it and see what's in it what's the best for the sport uh 100% sure uh, thomas malone westgård will never have had his results without getting help from uh, the swedish team with skis and to train together with the Icelandic team, as he has been doing the last season, together with Snorri Einarsson in that program. And that was a cooperation of the borders as well. So, and what we have been doing with Norway since 2015, having a cooperation with boxing, but also on many other layers, like with logistics and transport from time to time and stuff like that. I think, I think the federations, at least, must be more open-minded to to see the advantages of having cooperations. There is, it is not dangerous to cooperate with someone. It is most likely you will learn something you didn't know from, from before. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I just want to jump in here with sort of my own like thoughts and observations about this, like from having been over in Europe and like watching what, what you guys are doing. I mean, I think, and, and Devin kind of alluded to this, but I want to put a finer point on it, which is like, you know, one of the main things themes that we've talked about on our podcast like for the last two years is how you know cross-country skiing it's like you know it's like a class cast system right where Norway has Norway is the New York Yankees like they have all the money they have all the resources and you know any of these other countries that want to compete it's like an uphill battle even if you're a relatively well-funded team like Canada or the U.S. let alone like a country that doesn't really have an enormous GDP or tradition of cross-country skiing like like Latvia um or or Great Britain um I feel like it's been a you know seeing the soccer dolly concept like work and the fact that it seems to be growing to encompass you know a Czech skier an American skier now like I feel like that's exciting and inspiring you know that we're seeing okay folks are starting to get creative because you know the the existing model of national team sponsorship isn't isn't always working in providing athletes with like the infrastructure that they need to grow like one of the things um one of the things i'm kind of curious about and and you know this is maybe a little more of a rhetorical question unless you really want to get into it you're seeing is like how much uh, the international ski federation has like done to either facilitate or thwart this this kind of trend toward you know not specific national team but like athletes coming together because i think if i were fist knowing that like you know particularly with the russians being out of the game for the past couple of years that like this sport is increasingly norwegian dominated which is really bad for the the global success of the sport and so if i was fist i would be doing everything i could to kind of help and nurture and support uh teams like like the one that you've put together and I, so I, I am kind of curious like if that's happening if if there are obstacles that you feel like could be removed to um you know make it easier for you guys to grow and sort of thrive um that's a good question uh, one thing i can mention is like when the, when the news came out that we have managed to make this cooperation with team Akadali last season and uh, and uh, what that was in for us and, and so on. The first I got a message from on WhatsApp was uh, Mika Lamplot, who is the uh, race director of this, and he was super happy for us. It was like, I'm so, they're just positive and very supportive. And 
all the FIS staff out on the World Cup are super supportive to our project and are curious about it and likes it because they also see, of course, the value of having many nations out. And uh, uh, but but <laughs> as we know, they don't have so many so much resources to to motivate with yet. What they have is the, the bib system, of course. When you, if you two nations cooperate, you get uh, two extra bibs to get out on the course and test skis, and and that is of course valuable. But uh, I know that uh, FIS want, wants to take initiatives and wants federation to take initiatives to cooperate more and and to to be better and share knowledge. Well, I would say one of the best nations to do so is the Norwegian Ski Federation over Norway. They they have camp every year with juniors. This season they were in, in Blink when the Blink Fest ski festival was. Uh, but we also see that other federations are struggling more to get corporations done. It's like if two mid-sized nations uh, wants to uh, cooperate. No, there are some initiatives from one part, and maybe the other part doesn't see the value of it and doesn't want to do that cooperation, even though they are maybe the ones who would have gained the most <laughs> of of cooperating. And for instance, for me from Europe, uh, sometimes I've been thinking and said to some people, why, for instance, why doesn't the US and Canada have a common walks team? Of course, impossible for you to believe, but it's like you have the same travel, you do the same things almost all the time. And I know, uh, I'm pretty sure that you would have gained from it, but I know also that it is, it is not, it will never happen, most likely. <laughs> I guess you can fill in on that, Devin, but it's like... Yeah, no, but I think it's an amazing, I think, I think you're bringing up an amazing reality of cross-country skiing. And if you dial the clock back 10 years ago, when you had a powerful or 15, 10, 15, or, and before, and, and like all the way back to the first Winter Olympics, really. But, you know, where you had a powerful Germany, you had a powerful uh, Italy, you had some stars in Switzerland, of course, not just some. I mean, Dario Colonia is one of the greatest male cross-country skiers that ever lived. It, it, we had great racers in Canada and in the U.S. And I feel like in that environment when the world cup is i'm not saying it's not competitive anymore because it's still super hard to win these people are i mean like Klebo is the most beautiful cross-country skier on planet earth and, and like, you, like you mentioned very often we should not uh, uh take women's side into this because the women skiing are very international and very exciting yeah exactly <laughs> and that, that's exactly what i was going to say no but no, it's true yeah. you're absolutely right we've talked about that nat like the women's side of thing is exciting different winners different nations but when it comes to the, the 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 waxing side of things, I mean, this is something that we're going to all have to have a reckoning with because it costs a lot of money. There's a lot of changes with this fluoro ban that is going to have to come online here at some point once the technology meets the, the the demand for that. And when you look at it, it makes no sense. I totally agree. Like the American and Canadian programming should combine forces and then all of a sudden you have two wax trucks mm. to work with. And the fact that they don't, the fact that they don't, I agree. It is hurting both teams, actually. Even though I mean, the Americans have had some like great success. Uh, but you see, you see the, you you see that the U.S. misses the the skis too often. Uh, case in point is the, the tour de ski. I mean, geez, that cost that. Well, that that cost Jesse Diggins the entire overall World Cup. 
people are going to miss the skis. Norway misses the skis just very rarely after the debacle of, of 2014 in Sochi, but they do miss the skis barely ever, but they, but they do, but they made huge changes to, to solidify that. And I, I think these, these are good discussions to have just. And so I'm, I'm totally agree with you. I, I think Canada and the U S should, these are the conversations that need to happen if we want to kind of save the sport and we need more Idukas because if Germany's not going to start developing they have amazing women. Exactly. You're right. Henning's outstanding. And you saw uh, Laura Gimler have a fantastic season, especially on the sprint side of things last year. So it's not that it's a total wasteland in Germany, but on the men's side, it kind of is. I mean, you have, yeah, you have Moch who's coming better and better, but my point being is, is if we want to, the sport to survive, then yeah, it's not just, it's, it's really cool hearing your perspective. It's not just, you know, trying to motivate other countries to put together uh, public private partnerships like Akadali, but it is between the nations themselves because the times have changed and it's way more expensive and the, the competitive, the depth of field is just not what it, not what it was at the high, at the highest level. And and I think, sorry, I'm just going to chime in really quickly. What I think is interesting is like Team Akerdali is like the reason this is actually happening is because you have a Norwegian sponsor that's sort of recognized that, you know, cross country skiing needs more diversity, yeah. right? Like that, that's where the team comes from. Yeah, it's super important for both of both of the main sponsors, Aker and Dali, but it's also pretty uh, uh, true that uh, at least two of the sponsors coming into the team, Aker Solutions and Pexip, they have come on board because we are part of it. Because we're British, they want to establish them. They are established in in Great Britain. Aker Solutions have two thousand employees in Aberdeen, uh, an hour away from where Mercy and Younge grew up. Uh, Pexip want to establish, uh, uh, start to establish in, in in UK, and they want to use us to do that. Do so. So that just shows international perspective and international possibilities. And uh, but back to also what talk about. In the cooperation, what I know for sure now, uh, when Norway started their cooperation with Great Britain, they were in a totally different situation than the Norway we see today. So uh, it was um, stronger financially back then and, and was then in their gold era maybe of skiing with uh, Therese Marit and Petter Norbug, uh, Martin Sundby on top, both uh, as profiles but all, and also with results. And then you have... Uh, uh, they have tougher times now. So what you can say from last season, uh, without our contribution in the cooperation when it comes to testing, they wouldn't have been able to test as much as they wanted to test. So it's like to cooperate with us is crucial for them to do what they want to do. Also for Norway, who's like the biggest nation out there. But it helps, it, it helps us and it helps them to cooperate. So that's just how it is. Uh, during World Champs, Joachim Aurland, who is the, is the manager of the uh, long distance team, he was with us the, the, almost the whole World Champs until uh, uh, just before Baseloppe, and he's, he skied 50k every day. But that was only on Norwegian skis. He didn't, he didn't test any like skis, British skis, to say it like that, but he was out there testing all day. And then that's super valuable for both Norway and for us. So cooperation is, I've just... Uh, I can't underline how important it is uh, and should be for everyone. I, I cannot understand why not more nations cooperate more. <laughs> and I've said it like yesterday, we, um, we have this working group in Tisno. 
about cooperation between nations, what is possible to do and so on. And we had some talks there yesterday and it's like, uh, you can tell for sure that this people from different nations have different perspectives and views on things. There are initiatives coming from, from pretty big ski nations that wants to do cooperation with others, but then they meet other nations who are not so interested in it. And I also meet challenges from inside their team because they don't understand why they should cooperate with a competitor. But uh, my answer to that is always that we will be for the best for both. And it, will be it will be interesting to see where it moves forward. I think, I think like, I mean, I'm a super huge running dork and I know you follow running very closely to you, Stein. Um, so, but for me, like to, for cross country skiing to move to the cycling model, like just trade teams, like huge trade teams with massive budgets. Like I'm with you. I, I'm, <laughs> I know it's been talked about. I mean, it's been talked about my whole active career and it comes up kind of like cyclically, like every couple of years. I, I, I can't see it moving to that level purely because of the expense. I mean, the expense of having a wax truck, the expense of having right. staff, the expense of the travel it is, is it, it's a huge ask for a private business in a sport that has a far less reach internationally than international cycling. That said, you would, you don't need 30, 30 million Euro or 50 million Euro budgets a year, but you still would need like multiple million Euro yeah. budgets. So yeah. I, I, maybe I can't see that happening, but if you look to running and you look at how you have training groups, really yes. a lot, a lot is really supported by the, by, in, in running is by the footwear companies. You know, if you're Adidas yeah. or Puma or on or, or Nike, but regardless of that, like you have training groups that, that either go it alone, like, like, like the Inge Brigson brothers, but, or, or they come together like Ritzenheim's uh, on team where they have <clears> athletes <throat> from the world that are training together. But then when they go to the world championships, there's no question. They're putting on the USA Jersey. They're putting on the Australian Jersey. They're putting on the Canadian Jersey, whatever. And this is no problem whatsoever. And I feel like that kind of, if we, I think that's something we could all aspire to in, in cross country skiing is more like a, a track, a track and field model in, in the future, yeah. but it wouldn't be with ski companies because they don't have enough money. Um, no. So you have to have this, this um, yeah, this capitalistic big business Ocker being a great, a great yeah. example, but it, it, it'd be really interesting to follow along. But I agree the, the cooperation side of things, the fact of the matter is like, we all have to wake up and skiing has changed and it's, it's not, it's just not in the golden era right now. So yeah. I, I, I this is what I see, uh, I see and think as well is like we, I think what we're doing now this summer to make a good training group like we have had here with Sofia and Yanatova and, uh, and Silja training together and Aiduka and lots of other, other good athletes on the women's side, but also on the men's side, we see the same. Uh, and I also see a tendency then to, there are more athletes now contacting us, being curious on our project. But I see um, there is a hole now in some federations. We see, for instance, I saw yesterday on Instagram that the, uh, no, not on Instagram, I heard, I heard it in the meeting, that the first camp the German team could have was now in August. So it's like they have not been together since the season started. No, the season that's crazy. That's, yeah, that's, that's but then if there are private team then like us and others <clears throat> who can then be the facilitator of uh, May to November, <laughs> and then the federations uh, kind of do the rest for the athletes who, who can't be on a program that are fully fully supported. Then I think we can 
see a role for private teams as well. But then also the federation needs to accept that place for our teams. It's like, even though uh, Sofia and, and, uh, and Yamatova is training with us now, that doesn't mean that we can demand a spot on their races. No, no, of course and, not. And we don't either. But if you look at it from a, from a, a partner or sponsorship perspective, of course, uh, I'm pretty sure that Auker would not be against that Sofia likely had the Auker logo on her race, bit, race, uh, race suit, and the same with Yamatova. So I think maybe that's somewhere you, where you can go and cooperate between private team and national teams. That, for instance, if you are an athlete from, uh, say, Team Exohus going out on the World Cup or Team Akadalen going out on the World Cup, it must be acceptable maybe for the federations and you see some federations that don't even sell uh, sell a sponsor on their ski hat, but then maybe yeah. there should be a place for a private team can actually be there since they have supported uh, their training season. Uh, an athlete like uh, Sofia and, and Yamatova, they doesn't get money from us training with us. Their our investment, uh, their investment in the team is actually to be a part of the team, and the same for us to invest in them is to have them. In our team, we, we are not in a position where many things that we have lots of money and can pay out everything and uh, pay out for everyone. Yeah, of course, there are some super, very good, of the very good athletes who have have an award and, and get some get some money to ski for the team, but most of the athlete doesn't get uh, get the time for it. So, so um, I think that is a route to go. For instance, if uh, you see uh, you see it in some sports now with Red Bull, for instance, uh, in all the ski jumpers on the Red Bull team have a Red Bull helmet. Maybe we will see a headband or a ski hat uh, who shows everyone that you are from Team Akadal in the future. I don't know. But I think federations also must be open for this for these uh, talks. It's of course easy for me to say who comes from a small, relatively small uh, ski federation. But I think also that we, we have been to the bone so many times and we also have to see opportunities that others haven't seen. So uh, it's exciting to see in the future. Uh, yeah, no, I think they're Super interesting ideas, Justin. And the other thing too, though, is that I'm the, not the worry, but like I think ski fans should be cheering for an Dolly project to succeed purely because you don't want to cannibalize your own success either. If if you're an island in this, and Dolly is the one and only program for the next four years or five years that this is available to athletes from smaller nations, that is also not good. You know, like no, no. you need you need a competition as well with private teams that are moving into the space. And, uh, and, and this is what I'm kind of most interested to follow along with is that if you can show that this model, not you, I mean, you personally, but that if you're the program can show that this model is something that is both sustainable, but also building elite performances from cross national athletes, mm -hmm. then I really hope that other players can get in into the space and do it. And I mean, in a smaller level, you'd see it in, in ski classics, but I can't really compare ski classics to, to, to World Cup skiing anyways, in the sense that, yes, it's specialized, it's its own circuit, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, really, if you were to ask, uh, we don't need to get all, I don't need to get more hate mail than I already get. But like, you, you know what I mean? Like the World Cup and the Olympics is, is a huge draw for a young cross-country skier. It's very inspiring. It's interesting that uh, Mirbach, who is Swedish, Vassalop, it is a huge deal. But for, for most young athletes around the world, if and I say young athletes, I mean, let's just be real. Like if you're eight years old or 10 years old, 
you're not dreaming of winning the Diagonella. You're not, you're not, you're not dreaming. Of no, no one is. It, 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 as a professional, you are. That that has made that tradition transition, of course. But you're you're dreaming of winning the Olympics. I mean, or the World Championships, or the overall World Cup. So, it's it's a huge draw. So I really hope that they can, yeah, that that, that you that the your project can inspire others. I think it's also really interesting, like we covered earlier about the the para and able body um, amalgamation and and yeah, because I think that can inspire both people. I want to. This is like really changing gears, like severely. But uh, Norway never has a. Uh, but I'm just this is a curiosity. Norway never has um, a lack of young athletes that are willing to give everything for the ski dream. But you're seeing more and more with the ski classes. This is just kind of interesting because you're all in one team. But I, you know, you look at a, an athlete like a young Norwegian athlete, Thomas Bucher Johansson, who is a huge talent with under 23 medals and. Yeah, like a, a huge, huge talent. And you see his name being listed on a long distance team. And you see the, you've seen some other young, we don't need to go through the list of like Scandinavian cup winner types that are, that felt like they didn't have opportunities. So they would go to ski classics, but you know, ski classics used to be like where world cup skiers took their retirement packages, like Osten Pedersen and oh, yeah, they sell it, that they're like all in for the double pooling, but they're also getting kicked off the national team and finding a way to make some money and, and compete and train, yeah. um, you know, and John Christian doll, like it, it was won the Basel up numerous times. I'm not saying they didn't have success there, but there's a transition happening now in Norway where we have some young athletes like Thomas that I just talked about making transitions early quite a bit earlier into the long distance circuit. And do these discussions ever come up like between the long distance team and the, and, and the world cup side of things? Like, do you and Jesperson have discussions on this where you're like, because let's be honest, like Austria was a great example last year. Mm -hmm. Of course, like she wants to win the, it was a great win. She had talking about uh, Astrid or Slynn. Yeah, Astrid or Slynn. But like she was prioritizing the World Cup because she dreamt of winning medals at the championship as a kid. And, and mm -hmm. this was finally her chance after toiling for like 15 years as a senior, really had a huge mm -hmm. breakthrough. And she took that opportunity. Mm -hmm. But you think this is going to become a problem with these kind of like um, mega projects? And there's two things there. One is that uh, you see the cutting of, of uh, quotas, especially for Norway, has been very difficult for that generation of athletes we see now. Like Thomas Booker was 10th uh, in Holmenkollen, 50k in March. Now he chose to, to fight in Ski Classic. Uh, Eirik Augdal was 4th in Holmenkollen, 50 Classic. When was it? 2019, 18, 19, something like that. Still young, very talented. Uh, can be, could have been a World Cup skier. He chose to go to, to Eksjehus, be a long-distance skier. Uh, Magnus Meos did the same uh, a couple of years ago. We've seen other, other skiers doing it. And, and uh, the, actually some of the resources some of the big teams have now, like, uh, uh, like I said, we don't have huge salaries, but maybe the, some of the long-distance skiers, they have a possibility to have a contract there, to have a secure income, even though it's not big, but to see the same on Ekrevus, on Ragda, 157 team, and the biggest team. And that gives a, uh, 
the athletes an opportunity to make some money out of their career because they see it's very, very difficult to get into World Cup circuits. Therefore, you also see younger and younger athletes choosing it. And you also see on the price money side that there are good price money both in long distance roller ski races, but also in long distance skiing. So that is actually, I think that's that's a part of it. So uh, especially from from these nations, that is uh, Norway, Sweden, that is actually something, especially in Norway. On the male side now, it's been almost impossible to get a spot in the World Cup team the last seasons. It's like uh, the ones who are there are super good and uh, to be... To be to, to to make it into the team, you have to be better than them. It is like uh, you have to be like Harald Lösberg Amundsen. That is like the guys who make it, and that is medal and world champs as a member of a recruit team. <laughs> it's like that's that's a level. So that's interesting. And we also. No, but I guess uh, what I'm saying. Sorry to cut you off. And, like yeah. your thought, but the, what I'm curious about, like this is kind of new now that you have kind yep. of competing. Uh, goals within one team. Did you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, Yeah, like, so like Thomas, for example, or Astrid for that, I mean, Astrid had to live that last year. And that was an easy decision because she was just crushing and came to the world championships and crushed. So that, that, and and crushed on the ski classic side of things after, afterwards as well. But but it it just, do do you see this as a challenge for, for your private model that you you're getting young talents that are choosing long distance until they come to buy the stolen and come second and then now all of a sudden get an opportunity to go in the world cup or is that internally a discussion that's like you know what we're just here to support the athletes and it's up to the athletes to choose do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. no it's important that when the athletes choose to be a part of the ski classic team they they choose to be a part of that and that is where they compete and then of course when you have uh, athletes like Austri, you are in a exceptional uh, situation where she is as good as she is she can when you when you're as good as she is you can pretty much choose choose what you want you you know how it is but then when you have uh, an athlete like uh, uh, on the level of thomas for instance then choosing to to be a part of uh, a long distance team there is where the team wants him to perform and that is where we have seen conflicts within long distance teams previously is when they suddenly are so fast that they they have to choose uh, choose uh, they want to choose the world cup race instead of a, a, a long distance team i uh, but, but that's when you have the, taken that choice you need to to stand for it i remember for instance uh, my girlfriend kari vikag she was in that situation when she changed to long distance skiing and then she qualified for world cup but then she uh, uh, had to and she also wanted to say no but that was also expected from her team then Ragde, that her santander which was named then uh, that that you go with us and do ski classic uh, prologue. <laughs> that is because that is where you are supposed to be. So uh, this is where it can be conflicts, but I think it's very it's very clear in the agreement done with the athletes what to prioritize, and you have to do it. It's like uh, if you decide to be a long distance skier, that's actually what you choose to do. Uh, but then you have exceptions like Austrian, which is totally understandable. What we can also do in our team, which is great, is like we see what Messi sometimes likes to do long distance racing. So last year he could do La Diagonela uh, and he did uh, Reistalöp and did all these things. And then our team can facilitate that for athletes who wants to swap a bit back and forth. And that is also uh, many interesting concepts, but in, in the future, maybe you see an athlete like Alvar Mühlberg doing the Tour de Ski. 
and then he do much longer instead of doing a World Cup race. And then he and then he choose to do Birkebeiner instead of a, a World Cup race. It's like well, yeah, and that could actually well, help too. That could actually really help. That I would love them, I would love them to do it. My yeah. I've said it many times what I would love to see that was to have races where where the sport already is. For instance, the weekend of Marcelonga in the, my wildest dreams that would be Friday you have a sprint race in Val Saturday you have this iconic mass start you then have to be a 20k now and not a 15k and then on Sunday is Marcelonga. And, yeah. and it's like, you know, I mean, we, we, there actually was discussion about making the, um, the American Birkebeiner into a world yeah. cup race on this swing through the United States and Canada this year. And it yeah. sounds like it didn't happen because of the cost of television production, which I don't know. I mean, I, the, I know there's Devin loves to shit on the Americans fervor for the Birkebeiner, but like, imagine if we actually made some of these races like into world cups too, like kind of like you're saying it, it I, I think, you know, the long races, there are pluses and minuses. I think, you know, the, but, but to me, there could be great appeal of like, you know, producing those for, the international television broadcast, I think with the longer races also, there's like some amount of, there's a little more sort of chaos and uncertainty. Like, you know, we saw in Holman Cullen this year when the women did 50K, you had Ragnil Taga. Who yeah, like, two seconds. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll just, I'll just monologue here. Oh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk. Yeah. No, yeah, no, but no, but I think it is, I think it is interesting that the other thing too with that though, is like make it a World Cup or not, if you can get athletes, if we could start, producing athletes or like Mirabak is a really interesting case. Like these guys that are, that want to do both now. And, and I just look to cycling. Okay. Like Pitcock is the world mountain bike champ. He's the Olympic mountain bike champ. He's also won like Strada Bianca. He's won like the biggest races in cycling and he's doing mountain bike, cyclocross and road racing. You have like Mathieu Vanderpool, I mean, come on. Vanderpool is like the biggest draw in cycling. This one world championships this year on the road. And he wants to try mountain biking. He's three time, he's a three-time champ in 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 uh, cyclocross. I was just saying, Yostan, I know you're a big fan of cycling too, because we talked about that, that a lot. But think of the era we're living in. We're in the golden era of road cycling right now. And that's yeah. saying something. Because when you have Vanderpool, Pidcock, Van Art going across disciplines and able to yeah. win. This creates yeah. an insane tailwind of excitement. And if you yeah. can get this with the ski classics and the world cup, like Pitcock is paid by Ineos Grenadiers. Yeah. He is a pro roadie that is allowed to do these mountain bike races yeah. or cyclocross as well. And yeah. if we could start getting this into the ski classics, like your idea with, um, with, with having the Marcia Longa and some world cups at the same place or not like maybe we don't can't get the American Berkey as a world cup, but if, if you could swing it around together and start building these stories that guys could cross pollinate and, and win different races, but have it more realistic in the same, like in the race schedule, make it kind of possible once in a while. Of course you can't, you can't do it for the whole year. Cause again, like we can't work together on waxing. We can't work together on training philosophies. If we're going to start working together on like, a whole seasons of race schedules, it's not going to happen. But just every once in a while to try and lift some of these profiles that are coming up, I think it, that that's also this is a great discussion because these are also things that I think can 
turn a, a pessimist like myself with cross-country skiing into more of an optimist that we can start building this again and, and come into a new a new golden era or a new era of, of especially the weekends where, weekends where we know there are kind of all eyes on a race for instance um, from a Norwegian perspective for me of course but then I know there is like it in other countries as well we have uh, Marshallonga Birkbanner and Vasaloppe they may be the biggest and then actually you have some some of the races coming after the season, like Reistalöpe and uh, and uh, this summit to Senja, we saw this year with spectacular races. Uh, why don't we manage to make that being uh, like a big party for a whole cross-country, call it family? Uh, and I think it'd be, it's easier to get uh, people for the interest where there already are interest than to create a new interest. Uh, so... Uh, to have like um, I shouldn't name it <clears throat> I, I won't name it but there are some places we go to and have World Cup races that maybe are not the most iconic and interesting places and kind of just disappears and then we are there one year or two years and then we're gone this season, last season we were in Premanon with La Rousse. fantastic races, fantastic audience but when do we go back there? Will we ever go back there? We don't know that yeah, and these, and this is the this has been the this is the biggest plight of this. Is, I mean, this is a gripe I've had with this a lot. Is like you said, you 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 go to some of these locations with an amazing crowd in an amazing stadium, and yeah, and then it just disappears from the calendar. It's almost like you want to cry. It's like yeah. bring bring the racing to where people care, and that you're getting good television production and good images. And when you don't do that, you're you're missing the point of trying to grow the sport. So it, it is an interesting idea to try and not combine the ski classics in the world cup of course not but to be able to put them in a in a similar location especially for the monuments that that's let's call it what right. they are i mean the, and then the we also ski classics like, uh, is those three yeah 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 but then also you can kind of use uh cooperate across private team and national teams we have seen yeah. that in ski classic races on long distance races when yeah. i uh what um, like what was all coating, but is now a part of Team Akradali. Uh, we uh, uh, was out helping them, and Kari was skiing for them. Then came at this like Shurote, for instance, over just to do that race. Yeah, Sundi did that a lot too. Yeah, Sundi did that. It, like then they got the box support and they got everything around it. And um, I think we should be open-minded for things like that. Yeah, no, for sure. Other nations, not only Norwegians, like was. Great to see Rosie Brennan do ski classics this spring, for instance. What, yeah, and I, and great I thought, to see do these roller ski races too. I think it adds yeah, to an excitement. Like, of course, the roller ski races is a bit of a sideshow, but at the same side, at the same time, it's great to see profiles, yeah, like international ski profiles doing some of these yeah. roller ski loppets, these these sideshows with huge prize purses and right. and a big audience. Like, you you look, I, I cannot believe this is possible, but there was just an article published in in Norwegian media a couple of day, NRK mm -hmm. yeah. a couple of days ago saying like how many people watched Blink and Top Top Idrettsvika, and I'm just like holy, like millions of Norwegians in the summer are watching this shit. I can't believe it, but they are. So it was like 320,000 watching it. And uh, yeah. this is difficult because I know cycling Wait, is, is in, a, in, in a person. Hmm? The, no, not in the person on TV. On TV. On TV. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's a hard, uh, hard to compare it. I know I've heard that from, from, from people who works in TV, but the average number of people watching 
uh, a Tour de France stage this summer in Norway, which is exciting with the Norwegian team in there for the first time, was 86,000 in average. And I for sure they had higher numbers from time to time, but it's like cross-country skiing in the summer is very, very popular. <laughs> Yeah. No, but it's also Ooh. fun to have it's fun to have the profiles do it it's fun to have like of course it's great to have Petter back but like you see that Klebo does does some does some of the long races you see World Cup skiers coming over and back and it creates good storylines too and it, it's also I mean I don't know what the traffic is like on international like German or even American ski websites or anything like that but it's fun to see that there's some traction because it is and these are you know it's it's kind of like I'm going to go back to my pessimistic hat. Like, listen, the world of cross-country skiing, this is an all-hands-on-deck situation now. Like, if we want to have this sport get a bit more traction and start being more interesting, we, we, it has to, it, it takes everything. It, it takes it takes World Cup skiers doing these long-distance races in the summer on roller skis. It takes looking strongly at the scheduling it looks the tv production rights we'll leave that for another podcast nat because that's uh yeah that, that's a uh, uh, how it is as well is of course the athletes who have to choose to do these races we have athletes who love to do yeah. ski races and yeah. they find it motivating and fun and all those things and then on the other side you see uh some of the best skiers in the world not push it participate at all even oh, yeah. uh, if there are races in sweden we don't we, we didn't see jonas undling in allianz Lotto, for instance no no exactly and that but that's and that's the, but that's our choice of course and it's free they're free to do so but it would yeah. be great for the sport to have the <laughs> best profiles around <laughs> yeah, yeah always it always is that's that's the long and short of it yeah. so so you guys are um you know it's like definitely way past both of your guys bedtimes in norway it's like 9 20 at this point but i do and i've got a uh i i have a, I have a real job too you know i gotta make some phone calls in a few minutes here we're right in the prime prime work day in alaska but um i want to ask one question of both of you before we sign off here in a few which is um you know, I think Devin and I have heard sporadically from uh, the the legions of podcast fans, uh, you know, various various questions about various like develop. There, it, it feels like it's been actually like a pretty busy off season, and I want to ask each of you guys. Also, really have like twelve listeners. That was okay. our before on your podcast. Sixteen so now, yes, and now we have sixteen, baby. Sixteen, hopefully. Hopefully 20 by the podcast comes out. Yeah. Which 12, I usually going... think it's only 15 though. <laughs> <laughs> well, going from 12 to 16 is actually a 33% increase, which uh, you know, pretty significant. But I did want to ask each of you, um, you know, mo- name the what you find to be like the most intriguing uh development in the cross-country ski world uh over this off season. I mean, you know, example being like Clybo jumping off the Norwegian national team or um I don't know Sophia Lockley joining team Akerdali or something like that just you know there uh, people want to hear about all this stuff well, I can start I'll start and I'll try and keep it short for you Stein. um but you buried the lead the biggest news for me of course was like like was Clybo not signing his his agreement with the national ski team I think that that's it we shouldn't be shocked anymore i mean petter did this back in the day at the height of his powers too but i'm still shocked by it i'm still i i still just can't believe that we we can't that the ski federation can't come to an agreement with the biggest profile of our sport and and the most yeah that 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 was 
while maybe not surprising it that's a tidal wave in in the sport of cross-country skiing uh no question i, I think another one is going to be a bit weird i don't know what yostan's going to think about this but like the yostan touched on this earlier about like how hard it is to have a place on the norwegian national team like just how hard it is on the men's side of things to get a spot but it actually is on the women's side of things too like I was shocked that Celia Theodorsen, after the season she put together, was not offered a, like a spot on the Norwegian national ski team. That that blew my mind when that bomb dropped. Another one that blew my mind is like Hans Christer Holland retiring. Um, you know, he, he 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 we should try and get him on the podcast now at some point because like he is a fascinating story, uh, world junior champion where the wheels completely came off and then came back to the height of his powers and he decided to step away from skiing from skiing now in the off season. And there was a lot of noise around, you know, retirements and then, you know, Didrik getting kicked off the team and then Claybo created his own team. So now Didrik concepts back on the national team and then a lot of uncertainty around the whole thing. So those are, those are some stories that I thought were, were pretty big. And then, and then one for the home and the last one for like the hometown crowd, the, the American fans, at least, it's working for them. It's great. I think it's cool. These athletes aren't 22 anymore. So I think it's pretty cool that like Rosie can get the opportunity, not just with herself, but other American athletes too, taking a trip over to, to Norway and Sweden and, and doing some roller ski races. But I do, it worries me a little bit when you have a small team uh, like, like us where you have Diggins in New Zealand, Rosie in Sweden, people all over the place and they're not members of private teams just and like this is the u.s ski team and i don't know i uh, maybe i'm old-fashioned but that that always I, I found that like a little interesting at least at the very least it's like whew, the precedent of that moving forward is i'm not sh- i don't know it's fine when everyone's world champion and top five and world cups every weekend but you know it, it, it that you, you can't get to those results i don't think by making choices like that over the long term no, I think I agree on that. I think uh, I believe in the strength of the camps. Uh, that's where we do a lot of good work and develop together. And then if we go back uh, two, three, four weeks and do our own things and then we meet up at camps again, that is, uh, at least for the teams I've been working with the, the last 10 years, have been a pretty good success factor. When we have good camps, it would make good teams. Uh, so... It is not so complicated, but uh, I guess there are reasons for everything. And um, I don't comment too much on what chooses other nations do, but I, I believe in in that, and that is how we have been working, and are still working. So next tenth uh, to fifteenth of September, we go to Hemsedal for a camp with. Uh, we are almost thirty athletes there. There are lots of athletes have done multiple world cup races and world champs and olympic games and everything and i'm pretty sure what we've seen also before on camps that they learn something off the course that they didn't know from before the discussions we see around the dinner table around lunch when we're out running and stuff that's also developing athletes it's not only the the bonding intervals or the or the sprint session so but that's from my perspective. Back to the question from Nat. Uh, I will agree, especially on the one with uh, Hose Holun. He lives right up the street from me here, actually, in Nittedal. And uh, we thought that, or he also said uh, publicly, I think, that he wanted to 
to continue his career, but then he suddenly stopped. And that opened a spot for, <laughs> for Didrik again, <laughs> as I understand it. So then he was back on the team. <laughs> and then, uh, so that's how hard it is. I think uh, uh, you should get uh, Hose, uh, Hans Christer on the show. He has a great story and uh, I'm sure he will be open-minded about his decisions and why he did them. There is a, he's a, he has an interesting perspective on his career and, and, and life. And uh, yeah, we have kids same age here. So uh, I will... Uh, I will see lots of lots of him in the next season, next years. We say years with kids. We don't say seasons, do we? <laughs> and then, uh, but then, of course, the news with Johannes going out of the national team—that's pretty pretty big. But uh, yeah, that's so. There was there was just I I just if I'm remembering correctly, I I love it. Just seemed like the Norwegians managed to deliver a soap opera's worth of drama around the national team stuff. It was like, you know, Klaibo is in, Klaibo is out, Klaibo is in, Klaibo is out. And then like Holland is in, Holland is out, Tonset is in. And they're they're like, you know, getting phone calls that like you're off the national team, like good luck out there on your own in the North Sea versus like, oh, wait, no, we actually misspoke. Uh, you're you're on the national team. You're everything's taken care of. You're, you know, bed's going to be made. Maybe you should get uh, Espen Bjerrvig or Nossum on the show. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain us like they what can explain the you their style is? Um, they're open-minded people, so they 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 will they will come to your show for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 add them to the long list. It's uh you know they can get in line uh you know behind Holland and uh you know Klaibo probably. So, um cool. Well, um any, any last uh, words here before you know we'll be back with you know four more episodes in the next week, surely as we've as we've promised and clearly yeah. delivered this off season. Only thing I want to mention that is can be worth it, like um, I'm not the only coach on Team Akdali. That's important. We are like a team of coaches. We are. Uh, uh, it's uh, the 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 coaches for all run team is me and Hans Christian Stalheim, as you know, and we have Joachim Aulan and Chris Jespersen working with the long distance team. But Chris is also very crucial for what's happening in Trondheim, uh, where we have <clears throat> we have com- uh, we have sessions every week in Trondheim, Lillehammer and Oslo, and he is responsible for what's happening in Trondheim, where he has the group of Austrian Thomas Malone Westgård and, and Andrew Young and Andrew Musgrave every week there. So that's a great group of athletes. And then uh, Kari Vikagnetner, so I, I don't know what's called in English, somewhere. We share a bedroom, but we're not married. <laughs> she is responsible for a next-gen team. And, and Trond Nystad is, uh, is uh, kind of responsible for sport, call it that. And, and Knut is doing business and, and, uh, and is a CEO of the team. And every second week we have uh, meetings and we have good communications between that as well. So we are a good coaching team as well. It's not, uh, it's not a one-man show at all. And I always believe that cross-country skiing is a team sport, even though it's for individual athletes. But to have that... Uh, capacity of coaches together in a room every second week we we uh, we learn a lot and share a lot of knowledge with each other so that's also a very inspiring part of it oh i just want to say thanks this time for taking the time to jump on this heat bag production we got going on over here and uh for the listeners it's um i you know I know we'll probably get some emails, like emails saying like, "What you guys promised, like more episodes." But hey, baby steps. We're gonna put this out in in early September or late August, like it is now. We're four months earlier than last year, so we're 
<laughs> we're, we're actually kicking ass. No, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's always great to, to catch up. And I think um, great discussions tonight with uh, different perspectives and, and ways that, that we can make the sport we all love a bit better and, and just hear how, how you guys are doing it. I think it's, it's an inspiring, uh, inspiring project. So wishing you guys all the best of luck moving forward. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. And keep uh, pushing episodes. We always look forward to to hear them. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Put in, put in a good word for us with those uh, Norwegian team administrators, uh, so yeah, we can yeah. come on here. Maybe we can make twenty listeners before a year is over. Yeah, <laughs> imagine <right>. that. <laughs> thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back soon.